0: And welcome to the Naturopathic Family Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Michael Smith, a naturopathic physician on a mission to help individuals and families achieve health and wellness across the lifespan and throughout generations. Thank you for joining me today. Several weeks ago, I gave a presentation um, in our in the community here in Idaho Falls called The Science of Eating, The Secret Sauce of Planning, Preparing, and Enjoying Food to Nourish Your Body and Soul. And as I advertised for the event, there were many people that weren't able to make it, whether it be timing or uh, logistical challenges, or some people that were living out of state, they wanted to be here but just simply couldn't. So for them, and for all of you listening in, I am recording that presentation here on the Naturopathic Family Podcast for you to be able to enjoy. And I hope learn from. It's been an informative experience for me to give the presentation. I hope it's uh, likewise informative for you to listen to it. Um, Now, I will note uh, for my audio listeners, whether you're listening to this in the car, whether you're exercising or things like that, there are many visuals to this presentation. So The best way to see those visuals is to watch it on the YouTube version where there's the video. However, you can get the content um, in the audio version as well. I'll be describing the pictures and diagrams as best that I can. Uh, So let's dive in. The science of eating and really what it's all about. In the presentation, I gave a little bit of background about me, about who I am, and I may have done that before in this present, in this podcast, but I don't know if I have. So let me just do so right now. I'm a licensed naturopathic medical doctor in the state of Idaho. I graduated with a doctor of naturopathic medicine from the National University of Natural Medicine in Portland, Oregon. And before that, uh, completed a master's of science of biomedical science at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York City, where my research focused a lot on epigenetics and neuroscience and in their interactions, looking at the epigenetics on a DNA level. Um, and I've since received a certificate of clinical homeopathy from the Center for Education and Development of Clinical Homeopathy, otherwise known as CEDH. So homeopathy is one of the modalities that I use a lot, um, but it by far is not the only. I love to dive into nutrition, which is the, the basis of this presentation, um, lifestyle, sleep. Um, adjust uh, medications uh, when needed, Uh, but really always looking to the root cause of what's really going on for a patient. I am the owner and uh, sole provider at Focus Family Integrative Medicine, which is a family medicine clinic based in Ammon, Idaho, Idaho Falls area, providing care for young kids and adults, um, older people of all ages. I really love to help by healing the family, and I believe that we can do that through food, through many different ways. Um, I offer primary care, adjunctive care, so if somebody is seeing another provider, they want a naturopathic opinion, I do that as well, along with ordering imaging labs, can give referrals, and do a lot of different types of modalities, as I mentioned, and different types of visits. So that's a little bit about me that I would give in in be. introductory setting uh, in a community presentation Um, there are no conflicts of interest and as with everything I do this is intended as educational and not as medical advice so um, with everything if you have any questions it's best to talk with your licensed healthcare practitioner uh, whomever they may be so you can get your answers questions answered not your answers questioned um, questions answered for you personally uh, in the way that you need it. Now, but we're talking about eating. I feel like it's really important to acknowledge eating disorders. It's a very prevalent, they're very prevalent in our society. Um, some populations from the National Institutes of Mental Health uh, talked about how binge eating disorder has a prevalence of 1.2% in the population. Bulimia and anorexia are also significant. They affect millions of people, and they're real. And they often happen alongside other mental health disorders. Now, in this presentation, I'm not going to be diving into eating disorders. I'm going to be focusing on generally applicable principles of healthy eating. And... um not really diving into specifics of any one eating disorder, particularly. However, I did want to provide this information, the National Eating Disorder Association helpline, for anyone who needs that support. There's that hotline, there's many other resources in in your community that can help you with that. And I hope that if you are struggling with that, that you or um, someone else struggling with that, that you'll seek the professional help with that because there is professional help to be had. I also want to mention the health at every size principles. These principles were brought forth and really wanting to... Emphasize that people, we can be healthy regardless of what our body size is. Um, these principles are intended to to end weight discrimination, improve access to health care regardless of body size and body habitus. Um, talking about how people can be healthy, even with larger bodies, even with skin... With Smaller bodies, skinny bodies—what the bever, the best term is—I'm still learning that myself. Um, we can find benefit from eating uh, food. Eating can be nourishing, and we can have good relationships with food. Um, the last point of these principles that I like uh, incl- includes life-enhancing movement. We really can find benefits from movement and that can enhance our lives. That movement doesn't need to be called exercise. That can be going on a walk. That can be doing yoga. That can be doing Tai Chi. That can even be sitting in a chair lifting a milk jug, if that's all that you can do to work to move those muscles. Um, There's lots of opportunities for movement, for health enhancement for being healthy at every size. And that's one thing I wanted to mention. It's something I try to implement in my practice the best that I can, um, supporting individuals where they're at and um, and helping them have the best trajectory moving forward. So as far as a roadmap to our discussion today, to um, this podcast, I want to first talk about the need for eating why we eat, what we eat, and what happens before, during, and after we eat, that really digestion process. And now after that, we'll dive into kind of our eating experience, how we eat, how much we eat, when and where and with whom we eat. All of these things really can affect uh, our digestion and the way that our body assimilates nutrients and so many other things. And so we're going to dive into that. First, I want to offer a question of why do we eat? What is the purpose? And this, this question may sound intuitive, but I wanted to emphasize it anyway. On the presentation, uh, on the video version, I've included a picture um, that's put forth by the, the company Roche who makes pharmaceuticals and other things Um Outlining all the metabolic pathways in the human body, we have so many different nutri- nutri- nutritional that's the word nutritional needs in our body, and um, and that includes uh, molecular needs, cellular needs, tissue needs, and overall systemic needs. Um, we have to meet those needs by eating food. That um, includes carbohydrates. That includes fats and proteins and other things and those are broken down in our bodies different ways and there's a lot of cross-linking and interactions with these nutrients and they all play together Um, in the middle of this diagram is the krebs cycle the citric acid cycle that goes around and around and everything that branches off from that it's massive it's big there's a lot to it Um, but this is illustrating the need for nourishment amino acids to do their job, um, vitamins that we can't make um, ourselves, cholesterol, which is the backbone for hormones and cell membranes, sugar to help um, with energy, Um, so many needs that we have, and I think that is why we eat. Moving on to what we eat, there are, I've mentioned them um, in passing. There's macronutrients and there's micronutrients. You may have heard these terms before. Um, macronutrients include things like fat, carbohydrates, and proteins. Micronutrients being uh, things like fiber, vitamins, and minerals. And I've uh, included a picture here of a back of a, of a loaf of bread. Um, there are... Many things listed in the nutrition facts, often things the things that are bolded are more of the macronutrients. The things that are not bolded are those micronutrients, and we need all of them. You know, maybe not saturated fat, but we do need all of these nutrients in different levels in different ways. While we're looking at the back of uh, nutrition labels, I wanted to emphasize the need to also look not only at that little boxed table of nutrition facts, but also looking at ingredients. Um, There are so many ingredients listed in foods, and oftentimes I think uh, the fewer ingredients, the better, and the bottom line that I like to go by is that if I can't pronounce it, it's probably not good for me probably not the best thing. It's it's not whole foods. And that's what I try to aim for. Fewer ingredients when possible, whole foods, and things that you recognize that are healthy for you. Um, So that's um, generally looking at nutrition labels. The United States Department of Agriculture has helped inform us of the uh, different balanced uh, amounts of how of how much to eat of fruits and vegetables and protein and grains and and dairy and so forth when i was growing up that looked like the food pyramid and i'm sure that many uh, of you I remember that as well now since then, things have evolved, and now they have what's called the My Plate or the Food Plate, and they've divided this plate, the thing of a circular plate, divided it in different ways, with different proportions of that plate dedicated to fruits, protein, grains, and vegetables, with a, a circle in the top corner, top right corner, for dairy, and, and suggesting that we drink dairy um, with our meals. Now, that works really well as a basic outline. Like if you're following that and nothing else, you're going to be doing better than not. However, there's been some challenges that have been put forth by that. Um, This diagram of the food plate is uh, the introduction and then the documentation That I was looking at in preparation for this, it really dives into more of the details of what's included, what's not, what counts as a serving of food, things like that. Now, some of the challenges that I found uh, listed uh, include that one slice of white bread is the same as a half of cup of brown rice. Now, I don't know if you've seen a, a slice of white bread uh, and a half a cup of brown rice. But the way it, that our body metabolizes both of those is very different. Brown rice is a whole grain. It takes a lot to digest. It sits in our stomach for a long time. White bread, for example, is very processed. It's very broke, uh, very broken down quickly. It leads to increases of blood sugar. Um, there's The way that our, it affects our body is different. Yet, they are equating the two in the the my plate protein can be satisfied by hamburgers or red meat and hot dogs or processed meat now there are many different um, side effects from eating both of those which you're not going to go into in full depth but you may um, have remembered your latest barbecue that you had over the summer how you felt after eating a lot of processed or red meat um, versus maybe fish or chicken that are maybe a little more lean um, and not processed. There's no distinguish distinction listed here between potatoes and other vegetables. Now I think of celery, carrots, broccoli uh, versus potatoes. Potatoes uh, contain a lot of starch. It's effectively eating like eating carbohydrates um, instead of uh, vegetables their potatoes are more like a grain than anything yet they're equated as vegetables uh, in this plate it emphasizes dairy with every meal uh, and also that 100 percent fruit juice counts in the fruit group fruit um, has a lot of fiber in it it's really good for our bodies and by taking just the juice we skip out on all the fi- lots of the fibers and nutrients that we get from fruit, and so these were all put forward by the Harvard School of Public Health at, um, at Harvard, and they have since made their own healthy eating plate, and I encourage you to look into it more, especially if you're in, doing the uh, audio version of this. Uh, some major differences in the healthy eating plate. They talk about how, in this case, potatoes and french fries don't count as vegetables. There's over probably about a third of our diet should be vegetables. We uh, Eating plenty of fruits uh, of all colors are emphasized. Healthy oils. Eating a variety of whole grains. And that's not processed grains, that's whole grains. Um, limiting refined grains. Um, and then healthy protein. Emphasizing fish, poultry, beans, nuts, limiting the red meat, cheese, bacon, cold cuts, processed meat, things like that that have a lot of salt, a lot of added chemicals, things that are ultimately not the best for our body. Um, And then the last thing that I uh, probably love the most is that it emphasizes drinking water. It says drink water, tea, or coffee with little or no sugar. I love to drink water with my meals. Um, It says to limit milk or dairy and juice, avoiding sugary drinks, sodas, things like that. The sugar is never good for us. I've never heard it said that we should never drink our calories. Um, Sodas, juices are really rich in calories and we can consume them very easily as opposed to going through the work of chewing and digesting and so forth. One organization that I really like is called Old Ways. They emphasize different cultural health uh, food traditions, and they have put together different food pyramids, kind of going back to the food pyramid idea, um, for different diets around, around the world. There's the Mediterranean diet. There's an African heritage diet. There is a Caribbean diet. There's an Asian diet, uh, and... I believe a Hispanic diet as well. And really, they're emphasizing that there are many similarities. There's a lot of vegetables, a lot of um, really good foods that you can have. Different cultures emphasize the different kinds of meats, fish, other chicken, other things like that. But at the foundation are family connections, exercise, movement, sleep, and so many other things like that. Um, that underlie all of these food pyramids. So I like, really like that for that. Um, and I will include links to their website and all the other um, resources that I'm mentioning in the show notes and in the and in the video description on YouTube. I think we're talking about what we eat. I think it's always important to eat the rainbow as much as we can. Um, different colors. In fruits and vegetables are often associated with different nutrients that exert different influences in our body. Um, the nutrients that we get from blueberries are going to be different than the nutrients we get from carrots and red cabbage different from bananas and so forth. Those are some examples. I'm not going to dive into that right now, but you can kind of under maybe see how different type colors of foods, especially fruits and vegetables specifically, are going to provide different types of nutrients for our bodies. And that is really important for us. I always emphasize when eating the rainbow that white is a color. We have to have mushrooms, there's white um, uh, white turnips. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones. those are the ones that come to mind right now, uh, but that white is a color as well. So trying to eat the rainbow as much as we can is always going to be helpful. Other principles of what to eat, things I've mentioned already. Trying to eat food in season is helpful. Now, that's not always possible. And we do live in an era where we can buy bananas in the middle of winter because the bananas are shipped from other locations around the globe. That's just the nature of our global economy right now versus give it 150 years 200 years ago where all we could eat was what we could grow and we would eat everything that kind of was grown in our this same climate as we were because we'd have we could only go so far to find fruits and vegetables and other foods than things that we needed um so shifting gears momentarily just talking about principles of what to eat I, as a father to two kids, uh, I don't believe that we should underestimate the children's ability and willingness to eat different and healthy foods. Um, all at the same time, I don't feel like we should expect kids to eat. We th- expect kids to eat things that we as parents don't eat. So if we expect our kids to eat Brussels sprouts, but they don't see us eating Brussels sprouts, that's never going to fly. Um, brussels sprouts are amazing I've, I've kind of I've come to like them more because my wife likes them our kids eat them because my wife likes them so I'll give kudos to my wife for introducing brussels sprouts to all of our lives um, and there are many different ways that we can introduce foods to our children that are better than others um, I've listed a few amazing resources on, on social media that Uh, Of individuals that really emphasize these principles, Um, a few of them include Kids Eat in Color, Food Babe, and My Superhero Foods, all on Instagram and and perhaps other uh, media social media platforms as well. I'll link to them below, and I invite you to check them out because their content is really amazing and more geared to all of those things about helping, especially helping kids eat healthy. I always like to put forth four different rules of eating. And those four rules are, number one, to eat food. I think we always need to eat food. And we talked about that. Why do we need to eat food? We need to eat. Some of my patients uh, struggle with eating. Uh, I was working with with one uh, recently who... um, a teenager in high school struggling to eat at all. So for them, I'm starting just simply to eat um, because the body needs nutrients. After that, the next level is eat healthy food. That's where we can talk about that food plate, the food pyramid, diving into making sure we have fruits and vegetables, healthy whole grains, proteins, healthy fats, the fiber, um, good carbohydrates, just that balanced, good diet um, that we often hear about. Number three for, is a level down from that, and that's eating clean food. Now, that really goes into more of the the eating organic, eating the grass-fed, um, pasture-raised meat. That includes avoiding microwaves, um, Look, avoiding um, limiting... Um, food colorings, food additives, processed foods, really finite Dive deep dive into the ingredient list on, on added chemicals, things like that. For me, I call that clean eating. And that's the rule number three. Rule number four is to start with number one and move forward and not jump ahead. I think it's, I and I felt it too, when we're just trying to eat healthy, there's all this in in the news and social media about eating clean that we try. Then we start getting obsessed about in our minds, and we have this really really high bar for ourselves. But we can't get there because we're just simply trying to eat or eat healthy. So, my what I try to help patients with is simply to eat and then eat healthy. And if they want to take the next step to eat clean. Mm-hmm. They are, I'm happy to support them. I'm happy to provide resources for them. But my emphasis is really eating healthy and not letting the standard of eating clean overwhelm your ability to eat healthy or eat it all. Because anything we eat is going to be helpful. Anything we eat healthy is going to even be better. And then eating clean is obviously the best that we can do um, for our bodies but for some people, that may not be possible. So start where you're at and move forward, but don't jump ahead in that order. Those are my four rules of eating. I like to pose the question where does digestion start? We often hear that term digestion. We know that our body, um, our stomach, our small intestine, big and uh, large intestine, esophagus, those are all part of our GI tract. But where does it start? Uh, I was giving this presentation, and someone really emphasized that it really starts with cooking. The, the ability uh, for us to cook our food introduces heat, introduces water in, um, in different ways that we can cook. There's lots of ways of cooking food. But that process helps starting start to break down food uh, so that we can... Um, so that it's more ready for our body to digest. It helps pre-digest that food. That's the idea behind sourdough. Um, we've got this, this bacteria from um, that's eating away at this grain. And when we're eating it, we're eating, in a sense, pre-digested grains in our bread. That's what sourdough is. Um, so really, it can start with cooking. But the emphasis that I want to put is that digestion really does start with our brain. Now, if to talking, uh, to put that, put this into a, an exercise of sorts, if you can, close your eyes for a minute. And if you're driving, don't close your eyes. If you're exercising, you may or may not want to close your eyes. Um, but just pause and think about when you had Thanksgiving dinner um, or a big meal with family, friends, whatever. And think about for a minute the smell of rolls coming out of the oven that taste when you take that nice crunchy roll and you put it in your mouth that smell of turkey the flavor combo of turkey and gravy and a titch of cranberry sauce the texture of potatoes and gravy the smell of pies and now notice what's happening inside your mouth you might notice that you have a little bit of increased saliva production your mouth is starting to water and the idea is is that our thinking really does start that digestion process and really that's motivated by our sights our sensory systems our sight our ears our smell our taste and there's so many things to those sensations um, when you drive by a restaurant, you smell the food, your brain starts wanting that food, and it starts watering, your mouth watering, the sounds. We often hear the story of Pavlov and his experiment with um, with psychology. It's really psychology, um, but it, dealing with food, with um, incentivized training dogs to associate sounds with food, such that by the time they hear a sound, they already started salivating and were able to start digesting that food. We've talked about the digestive system and how there's so many different organs involved. A mouth, the salivary glands, our esophagus, stomach, there's the pancreas, there's the liver, the gallbladder, all of these things are involved with breaking down food. Really, um, salivary glands help produce something called amylase in our in our in our mouth. Really, it's part of our saliva, and that amylase is helps break down carbohydrates and starches. And because of that, really digestion. In, in some many ways, starts with our saliva in our mouth. That's why I like to share the rule of thumb to drink your solids and chew your liquids. I'll say that again. Drink your solids and chew your liquids. You might be a little confused by that, so I'll explain. Um, when we chew something, whether let's just continue the Thanksgiving meal analogy. We need to chew it well enough so that by the time we're swallowing it, it's a liquid. It gives that time for that saliva to be incorporated into the food and start breaking it down because that's one of the only places we get that starch breaking down process, em- enzyme, the amylase. And when, likewise, when we, we need to chew our liquids, when we go to jamba juice, getting a smoothie, whatever it might be. We need to sit and we need to chew it for a minute to give it time for the body, specifically the mouth, the salivary glands, to be able to work and to to start digesting a lot of those sugars that are in that drink. So drink your solids and chew your liquids. Rule of thumb. I'm sharing a visual the journey of vitamin B12. B12 is a vitamin that uh, we don't get in, uh, in through, that our body doesn't make. That's what a definition of vitamin is, is our body doesn't make it, so we need to get it from somewhere else. And we often get our vitamins through our diet, or let's say, maybe the hope. Vitamin B12 comes into our body through um, many ways. Uh, it's usually bound to something. This diagram shows it's bound to proteins. And when we are chewing, our salivary gland releases something called the R-binder. And R-binder helps uh, ultimately accept and hold B12. Now, when it goes into the stomach, our stomach releases something called the intrinsic factor, or IF. Intrinsic factor ultimately will bind to the b12 and then that intrinsic factor helps b12 to be absorbed in our intestine and go inside of our bloodstream where it can be used and be taken throughout all the, our, our body to our cells where they need to be where it needs to be used so digestion is really complex there are certain things that are digested in certain parts of our intestine and the whole process is connected. I have like the idea that our body is like this 3D spider web. And there everything is connected and we need to really look at everything when we're looking at um, addressing health-related uh, challenges. Okay, shifting gears to talk about our eating experience. drinking water, because I can't talk this long without getting a dry throat. Okay, so we talked about cooking, how how cooking is important. I was looking at a study about how there are so many benefits from cooking meals at home. Um, Some of the benefits that this study outlined include there's greater adherence to DASH diets and Mediterranean diets, there's greater fruit and vegetable intakes, and there's greater likelihood of having normal range BMI and normal percentage of body fat. And I feel like that's really helpful, uh, not only to our digestion, but to our emotional state as well. I personally really enjoy cooking I don't do it as much as I maybe would like, given just work schedules and other things like that, but I really do enjoy it. It gives me a kind of a creative time in the kitchen. Um, Cooking with others allows me to interact with them. Rubbing, um, when I cook with my wife, we're able to be in the kitchen together. We can talk and do the same thing. Uh, Cooking together, it's an enjoyable experience. So there's many different benefits that come from that. when we eat now there's different many different paradigms about the timing of eating i'm not going to dive into that right now cuz each of these could be its own whole lecture or powerpoint presentation podcast episode um the one that we might think about is when talking about when we eat is the intermittent fasting idea now there's many different paradigms ideas about how to do that um eight hours and 16 hours, or just different, like eating for so many hours in a day at certain times, and then not eating for the other times. Effectively, we do kind of an intermittent fasting already when we sleep. That is a form of fasting. That's why when we wake up, we eat breakfast or break our fast. Um, There's an idea that we shouldn't skip breakfast. Um, that one study found that no eating, not eating breakfast, increases the risk of cardiovascular disease and all cause mortality. So, the no breakfast idea though might be con- might run contrary to some intermittent fasting principles or studies. So, I'm just sharing all these different ideas to illustrate that when we eat might be different for everybody. There's the idea that the traditional meal idea. I think of going to grandma's house of having three square meals per day. There's different ideas of eating different portion sizes at different times of the day. Um, Perhaps like having lunch be the biggest meal of the day and having dinner be smaller, not bigger than lunch. Um, And then the idea of avoiding late night snacking when we can. And I also think it's important uh, the order in which we eat our food. I am really enjoyed on Instagram, particularly the work of Jessie Nshospe, I'm probably not pronouncing her name correctly, she's known on Instagram as the Glucose Goddess, and all of the things that she does focuses on blood sugar. Um, so if you if you would like additional inspiration on blood sugar, I definitely recommend going and uh, following her um, at the Glucose Goddess um, at Glucose Goddess. Um, a lot of what she does, she she has a continuous blood glucose monitor which is a, attached to the skin, and it shows how blood sugar rises and falls after eating foods. Now, the diagram that I have um, on the presentation shows how the fur in the top, it shows eating a meal of mango, and then rice, and then tomato and shrimp ceviche, which is just a meal of all of those. And when, when eaten in that order, the mango, then the rice, then the tomato and shrimp ceviche, there's a fairly large spike of blood sugar over the course of about two hours after eating. Now, by flipping that order around, eating the tomato and shrimp ceviche first, and then the rice, and then mangoes, that blood sugar mountain becomes then a little bit of a hill. Our body is naturally going to increase in blood sugar. However, There's a much smaller blood sugar spike. So, for individuals who are struggling with blood sugar, what might not be, you might not even need to change what you eat, but simply change the order that you eat it. I like what she says, um, talking about how fiber in the vegetables coats the small intestine. The fat and the protein slows down the emptying of our stomach inside. Into our di- in small intestine, um, and and then the glucose from the rest of the meal is absorbed later on because of all of the above. Now, there's two applications for that. Um, number one, if you go to a fancy restaurant, say Olive Garden or whatever, or even something fancier, we often see vegetables served before a main course of. A meat or a vegetables, more vegetables, starch, protein, whatever, and then there's dessert. In that order, so we start our ve- start our meals with the vegetables that help coat our st- our intestine. Then we have the meat, which helps slow the emptying of our stomach, and then we go into the dessert last. Now. One roll of meat was uh, when I one thing I learned. Um, I have a memory of learning this in school. Relates to at bars, um, people who drink alcohol. They uh, alcohol is often served with really um, like meat or fatty type foods that require more digestion in our stomach, and oftentimes those are paired together because if someone was to drink alcohol and just plain, it goes through our stomach and goes straight to our intestines where it's absorbed, goes into our blood, causes that spike of blood alcohol levels. Now by eating meat with that or eating this eating something with that, it slows that process. so it kind of creates a little bit of a barrier at the end of the stomach before going into the intestines where the food needs to food and the alcohol needs to sit and digest for a minute and it's released a little more slowly. So there's a le- lower rise of blood alcohol level. Um, so I don't drink alcohol. I don't know what that's like, but that's one thing I've observed um, when I was in New York City. I would always, when I was walking to and from the subway to, I'd pass this bar and I would see what people were eating and maybe peek at the menu that's posted outside and see all this meaty, fatty foods that helps with that digestion for that reason, whether it's conscious or not. I think she, uh, Jesse, uh, the glucose goddess, also shares things about what we can do after we eat. Um, now, there's there, there's been some studies about looking into movement after eating. So like going on a walk, doing chores, dancing, has been shown to support digestion, reduce gas and bloating, helps regulate blood sugar supports mental health uh, because we're moving more and it really also helps improve our sleep there is some timing that matters with that um, but uh, in the case of this diagram of eating a cake, piece of cake we get a mountain blood sugar spike, but eating, but eating that cake and then going on a hike after there's really not much of a spike really at all it looks like a little plateau because Our body is incorporating that sugar, and we're we're using it. We're getting it flowing into our body pretty quickly. So I like to propose the question, which setting will promote a better eating and digesting experience? And we've got two options here. The first is an image of eating a breakfast sandwich with an egg and cheese and um, meat on a bagel in a car or eating a nice meal on a sidewalk cafe patio. I often think of France because I think it's just stereotypical sidewalk cafes, um, but which is going to promote a better di- experience for our eating and digesting um Certainly, there are times we need to eat in the car. I've eaten in the car Long road trips, I think, are the perfect example of when that's just kind of inevitable. But when we're trying to eat something for breakfast while we're trying to rush to work and dealing with rush hour traffic, our body is in that fight or flight response. We're not going to be able to digest our food very well, as opposed to sitting in a nice relaxed environment where we can really enjoy our food and get the most out of the whole experience. I think there's an uh, opportunity to also work, optimize with whom we eat. I really, uh, one of my passions is talking about family history and genealogy. And one of my favorite studies about this uh, is comes out of Emory University, um, different researchers there in 2008 published a, a short study where they gave a survey of 20 questions to specifically to teenagers, to children, teenagers. And these questions they referred to was: do you know? Do you know how your parents met? Do you know where your mother grew up? Um, things like that. Specifically referring to, do you know things about your family? Um, certain details, and they found that, quote, the more children said they knew about their family history, the lower their anxiety, the higher their self-esteem, the more internally controlled they were, the better their family functioning, the fewer their, their behavioral problems, and the more cohesive their families. The close quote. So, the more kids knew about who their families were, where they were from, the better they were able to mentally handle the rigors of life. Now, they go on in their discussion to to talk about how it wasn't necessarily the inherent knowing of those facts that was important. What was important, rather, was the processes by which those, that knowledge was shared. They said, quote, We found that family stories seem to be transferred by mothers and grandmothers more often than not, and that information was typically passed during family dinners, family vacations, family holidays, and the like. Family dinners, sitting down, eating together, can ultimately lead through passing of family stories to increased anxiety, not increased anxiety, decreased anxiety, higher self esteem, more internal control, better family functioning, fewer behavioral problems. And that's simply because we're able to sit and connect with our families, our kids, having generations passing down stories from one to the other. And that really strengthens everybody and is an excellent ad- addition to the eating experience now we've talked about how we eat all of this that we've been talking about really can be summed up in the in the context of what's called mindful eating now mindful eating is not a program it's not a diet um, it's really about being present with ourself, our food and our eating environment it involves being in charge of how much we're eating and kind of the emotional and mental state that we incorporate our the physical experience of eating food. It's an intention. It's not. It doesn't allow for guilt or judgment. We're just being present with ourselves. If you think about meditation, we're being mindful. We're being present. Think about meditating while you eat, and that's effectively what mindful eating is. Now. A lot of the resources um, in this section um, I attribute to Dr. Susan Albers, who's a um, a psychiatrist, and who has really put forth a lot about mindful eating. She's an author, has a lot of great resources online. She has shared five S's of mindful eating, and some of these include sitting down, Slowly chewing our food, um, savoring the food, turning off distractions and allowing us to be present, simplifying, putting healthy foods, putting the bowl of apples on the counter instead of the cookie jar, for example, and also smiling as the last of the five S's, creating, as she says, a brief pause between our current bite and the next one. And it helps us relax, helps us be present with our eating. Now, if you can, I invite you, encourage you to pause this podcast if you're able uh, or video. And obviously, if you're driving, please don't stop in the middle of the freeway and do this mindful eating exercise. Find a piece of food, whatever it might be, and maybe first ground yourself, take a deep breath. Close your eyes, just be present with where you're at. Now, take that food and look at it. Notice the colors, notice the texture, feel it, touch it, smell it. What does it smell like? I would say with sound, that's the other sense you could put next to your ear and see how it sounds when you rub it, but that might not be the best. Um, Either way, before you even put it in your mouth, look at it and experience it. And then put it in your mouth, but don't chew. Let it sit on your tongue and notice the taste. I think of the experience of chocolate tasting. Um, or, or when you, when you set, let a piece of chocolate just sit on your mouth and let it melt just a little bit so you can feel that flavor. Um, there's the Pixar movie Ratatouille where um, Remy uh the main character he's uh, i believe he was in a someone else's house the older lady who didn't like mice and he was taking a bite of a strawberry and then in the background you see these swirls that are going right off in his mind cuz he's sitting and savoring the taste and then he took a bite of a little bit of cheese and a different color the yellow swirls started swirling but then when you, he took both the strawberry and the cheese and he put them in his mouth, he took a bite at the same time. It was very mindful. And then you see these fireworks and uh, pseudo-psychedelic color, like patterns, textures of flavor representing the flavor experience. And then chewing the food slowly. Swallowing the food and appreciate how it goes down your esophagus as you swallow what does that feel like what is that what is the sensation of that and then as Dr. Albert says smile take a smile take a deep breath take a and don't forget to smile in our bodies we have the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system the sympathetic is that fight or flight um, the parasympathetic being that more relaxed rest and digest When we're eating, it's better for our our body, our stomach specifically, to be more relaxed and not rest or digestate. And mindful eating helps with that. The Ayurvedic tradition is the medical tradition that comes from India. Um, And there's an Ayurvedic proverb that says, when diet is wrong, medicine is is of no use. When diet is correct, medicine is of no need. I'll say that one more time. When diet is wrong, medicine is of no use. When diet is correct, medicine is of no need. I think it really pairs well with the saying of the Greek uh, Hippocrates who says who invited us to let food be our medicine. And I really believe that can be true. That's something I like to try to work, emphasize with my patients. And I believe that food can be healing. We can have a good relationship with food. As we try to eat, eat healthy, and then eat clean, in that order, we can really optimize the nutrients that are around us within our foods. And oftentimes, maybe even prevent the need for supplements or vitamins or things like that certainly they may be needed in some cases but largely hopefully we can get most of what we need from our food that can then nourish us our body and our soul everything everything of who we are so i hope invite encourage that we might include a little more mindful eating. Um, It's something that I feel is important, which is why I've included it in my presentation. And I hope that by doing so, we can find greater joy and satisfaction in our eating experiences and make the most of what we do every day, which is eat. So until next time... Be well, and bon appétit. Thanks so much for listening to the Naturopathic Family Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, don't hesitate to share with a friend that might benefit from this as well. We'll see you next time.